Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The evening of March 6th, 2003, was a typical Thursday for the Nichols family. That night, Deborah Nichols put her three energetic kids to bed. After her husband Tim got home, she left the house to interview an employee for their karaoke business. When she returned home, her world had been turned upside down. That night, I went from just needing to hire someone to fill a shift to losing my whole little family It was a mother's worst nightmare. And when it was over, all three of Deb's children had died in a terrible accident. She was so stricken with grief that she couldn't bring herself to attend their funeral. I was trying to get ready to go to the funeral and my my body was breaking down and I was shaking so bad and I just had to sit down and give in and surrender and I said I can't go I can't do it I couldn't imagine seeing three three caskets it was too much it was too much my name is Deb Nichols I'm currently serving three life sentences at Denver Women's Correctional Facility From Lava for Good, this is Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling. Today, Deb Nichols. Deborah Nichols was born May 4, 1967, in Dearborn, Michigan. She grew up in a large blended family. Having seven brothers and sisters was a blast. We had a great childhood. Northern Michigan has beautiful weather, like the the perfect four seasons. So we as children took full reign with all of it and did a lot of skating and skiing and swimming and 
or just going down to the end of the street to the bay and playing in the water all day, all summer long. We had so much fun. So can you tell listeners about Deborah? What's she like? What was she like growing up? Well, as you probably gathered talking to her, she's a pretty strong girl. This is Deb's father, Doug Baumgartner. Pretty strong-willed and uh, has no problems uh, doing things her way and uh, trying to attain what she's headed for. (laughs) She was always that way all of her life. Her family later moved to Colorado, but for college, Deb carved her own path and moved out to California. After studying in San Diego for a year, Deb left the West Coast and joined her family in Colorado. When Deb was 24, she gave birth to her first child, a son. They called him JJ. JJ's nickname was Peanut, and he was just absolutely beautiful. Like, uh, he was my little my little buddy, my little man, and we did everything together. Deb went on to have a second son, Spencer. But tragically, when he was three months old, Spencer passed away from sudden infant death syndrome, also known as SIDS. Despite her loss, Deb continued to try and be the best mom she could to JJ. By 1993, she was living in a suburb of Colorado Springs, working two jobs, and going to school. One night, she went out to a local bar to let loose and indulge in one of her passions, singing karaoke. What is your karaoke song? Do you have a go-to? I really liked What's Up with uh, Four Non Blondes. I do love that song. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. When Deb walked in, a man was already at the mic. She recognized the song right away. You Are My Shining Star, which was one of my favorite songs in like eighth grade. And he was really cute and he was new and I had never seen him before. And I was like, hey, that's one of my favorite songs, you know, come sit by me. His name was Tim Nichols and they hit it off. We talked all night long and we basically never left each other's side after that. Yeah, describe Tim to me. What What is he like? Tim is uh, a lot of powerhouse and a little guy. <laughs> He's like five nine, five ten. Um, he had integrity, which is something that was so hard to find. It's such a rare quality nowadays, and just he's just such a good guy. Do the right thing no matter what, and I—that was a, the kind of guy I wanted to be with forever. Tim and Deb were best friends, and Tim loved J.J. like his own son. Tim and J.J. were just, like, so bonded um, that Tim adopted J.J., and we got married and started our family. I have to say, I loved getting married. I loved being married. Um, It really does take your relationship to a different level. Soon after that, in 1997, their daughter, Sophia, was born. She was absolutely amazing. She loved people to be happy. 
She was always smiling. She was, she was the essence of joy. Two years later, their second daughter, Sierra, came. They nicknamed her Rara. That little girl was just so calming and so peaceful. And she would just, like, go around the room and check everything out. She was just so little and delicate and beautiful. JG was my passion. Sophia was my joy. And Rara was my peace. They were my absolute world. I was so blessed. The family was thriving. Deb was working on getting her real estate license. They had started a construction business and even bought a house. They were busy, but they found time for each other too. You know, once I was done nursing, we started going out, you know, on date nights and we went to a karaoke bar and like it was so fun, like soul food. Deb and Tim decided to start a side business together, doing something they loved, the thing that had brought them together, a karaoke business. We took the plunge and started our own and got really good equipment. And, you know, I got all those songs like the Grease duets and stuff. Um, it was just really fun. It was for just pure enjoyment, just to be able to let loose and enjoy yourself. Deb, Tim, and their family had everything going for them. Living the American dream, basically. But that dream soon came to a crashing halt. On the evening of March 6th, 2003, Deb was home with her three children, getting them ready for bed. JJ was going to a, a birthday party on Friday. Which this lady was taking 10 little 12-year-old <laughs> skiing. So I got a bunch of, you know, chips and stuff and bought the girls some sparkly tattoos, little temporary tattoos, because you can't get one kid's stuff without the other kids getting stuff, too. She says the kids were really hyper that night. I had to put them back to bed like three or four times because... You know, the girls were excited about these sparkly tattoos, and, and J.J. was so excited about his birthday party excursion the next day. The kids finally fell asleep, which gave Deb time to catch up on some chores around the house. Tim got home from work around 11 that night, and he was tired. I knew he'd worked really hard all week, and I told Tim, you know, I'd clean the house. I lit candles for the ambiance, and... I literally had dinner in the oven and his favorite beer in the freezer, so he could just have a beer and dinner. Deb had an appointment to go meet a new karaoke jockey for their business. And I was like, you know, I have to go do this KJ interview. Make sure you blow out the candles. And I left. After the interview, Deb hung around the bar like she usually did. She had a few drinks and sang some karaoke. And because I had a drink or two, I didn't want to drive. So when the bar was closing around 2 a.m., Deb asked one of her employees, Carl, for a ride home. Everything was business as usual, until they turned onto Deb's street. You could see the emergency lights as we were coming up uh, the street. And um, the closer we got to my street, the more emergency vehicles that we could see and so I started to panic and 
I just asked Carl to stop the car and I got out of the car and started running around the corner and saw it was my house and it was on fire. And the closer I got, you know, there's probably 200 people in front of my house and I kept hearing everyone go, you know, that's her, that's the mom. And, you know, the panic was setting in. I was literally terrified and my brain was like, I just, I need to get to the back and make sure the kids are okay. And, and these cops and these firemen were like pushing me backwards. And it was almost like they were wrestling me to the ground because I'm like, you know, I need to go see if my children are okay. I need to get back to the house. Officials told her she needed to go to the hospital but they weren't telling her what was going on. It looked really bad. But if the only way I could get information was to go to the hospital, it was like, fine. And so I went and the whole ride to the hospital, like the, the policeman didn't tell me anything. This episode is underwritten by AIG, a leading global insurance company. AIG is committed to corporate social responsibility and to making a positive difference in the lives of its employees and in the communities where they work and live. In light of the compelling need for pro bono legal assistance and in recognition of AIG's commitment to criminal and social justice reform, the AIG Pro Bono Program provides free legal services and other support to underrepresented communities and individuals. When Deb got to the hospital, she was taken to a room to wait for the doctor to come and talk with her. You know, he walked in and he said, JJ was dead. And I remember saying dead no one no one said anything about dead and then he said um Sierra May the youngest she died also and I felt my mind leave my body and the adrenaline in my body took over and I ran out of the hospital, and my only thought was, I just need to go. <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to walk to the Pacific Ocean, <laughs> and that doesn't make any sense, but I now look back and like, that was the adrenaline and the panic, <laughs> and where I always feel the safest, on the beach by the water. It turns out Sophia was still alive, but she didn't have long to live. And I went back in the hospital and they led me to Sophia's room and she was had tubes everywhere. There was just a little clear spot on her little chest and I was able to put my head on her chest and put my ear to her heart and I could hear her heart beating. And it was beating so fast. (laughs) 
Tim was also in critical condition. In the process of trying to save him, the doctors had taken Tim's wedding ring off. Deb asked if she could keep it. And then she was confronted with more agony. And then they asked me to say goodbye to Sierra May, my baby girl that we called Rara. And I went and I got to hold her and say goodbye. And she didn't look hurt or burned or anything. She just looked like she was sleeping. Robert was a real big daddy's girl. And she loved her daddy so much. And I looked at the wedding ring in my hand of Tim's and um, I decided to put that on her so that she could be buried with it. Sierra and JJ had both died of smoke inhalation. Sophia was still hanging on for dear life, and Tim had been transferred to a burn unit in Denver. And Deb's family and friends were starting to arrive at the hospital. They all wanted to help me, but there was no helping me. I was devastated. I was terrified. I was panicked. And... I didn't want anyone to touch me. I was just so sick of everyone trying to hug me. Like, no, I have to figure this out. By morning, Deb was informed that Sophia had also died. And I put my wedding ring on Sophia's little finger, and I got to say goodbye to Sophia. And then I went right to the hospital up in Denver, and was with Tim and my family, and we just, we sat vigil with Tim. Tim's injuries were serious, but eventually he was able to leave the hospital. With no home to go back to, the two of them lived out of a motel room. Deb's father and stepmother stayed close to help. Tim was still recovering from his injuries, and Doug took charge of his care, tending to his burns and changing his bandages. I was the only one that could take care of the burns without puking and getting sick. (laughs) So anyway, that was my job for the rest of the time we were there. But Doug was also having a hard time. His daughter had lost her children, and he had lost his grandchildren. Can I show you a picture of the kids? Yeah. Have you ever seen one? (laughs) Show me. I got to reach it up. There. Oh, I see. And uh, anyway, this was the last picture of them. This was taken just before they all died. When was that, Christmas? Just after, yeah. In March, I guess, but they had little halos on even. I went from just needing to hire someone to fill a shift to losing my whole little family. Deb and Tim had lost their children, their home, and everything they owned. And as they struggled with their grief, their marriage was deteriorating. We weren't doing well (laughs) at all. Uh, Actually, Our souls were broken. We weren't, he wasn't the same man. I wasn't the same woman. 
we were fighting constantly and it was horrible. We were in different places with the grieving, you know, like he would want to remember the kids and I would be like in denial and we just couldn't get on the same page and we were actually doing more damage to each other than we were helping. None of any of it made any sense. I was not thinking clearly. I literally would buy boxes of wine and put them in my windowsill. And when I'd wake up in the morning, I'd start drinking white Zin and I'd drink it all day. She ended up coming home here with us and uh, she was still basically in trauma. I mean, we're talking months after the fire and, uh, you know, me and her would go down to her bedroom till she cried herself asleep. And it was about to get a lot worse. Because Tim was the sole survivor from inside the house fire, police were suspicious. One day, the police called Tim into the station, saying they needed him to pick up some property from the fire. But Deb says it was a ruse to get her alone. As soon as he left, the doorbell rang and it was... Derek Graham and another detective, and they were like, you know, oh, we need to talk to you. We think your husband did this. And I remember telling them absolutely not. They didn't know what they were talking about. My husband loved his children more than his own life. They said, well, we have evidence. I said, no, you don't. And if you do, it's wrong. And then I asked them to leave, and I thought that would be the end of it. But it wasn't. Detective Graham was also scrutinizing Deb's behavior, particularly at the hospital. And then he put, like, his notes that I wasn't crying properly or whatever. And I'm thinking, you didn't think I was crying properly? I couldn't even remember to breathe or close my mouth, and you're judging me like that? But the way Detective Graham saw it, these two parents had something to do with the deaths of their children. After a two-year investigation on July 21st, 2005, the grand jury indicted Tim Nichols for the murders of 11-year-old JJ, 5-year-old Sophia, and 3-year-old Sierra. Deb was also indicted that day for minor counts from before the fire, including drug use. But more than two years later, in November 2007, she too was indicted for the murders of their children. Deb and Tim were tried separately. Tim's trial came first. Before Deb's trial even began, he was convicted of three counts of first-degree murder. Deb's trial started on October 14, 2008. The prosecutors, assistant district attorneys Amy Mullaney and David Lindsay, presented the theory that Deb had developed an addiction to methamphetamine and needed money for drug-related debts. So she conspired with Tim to burn down their house and family for the insurance money. They said that meth users would do anything to get more meth. And according to the prosecution, that would include killing their three children to get more methamphetamine. And there was very little evidence to support that at all. But that was their theory. This is Kathleen Lord. She's a staff attorney at the Corey Wise Innocence Project at Colorado Law. Kathleen says that while Deb did do drugs occasionally, there's not evidence that she was a meth addict. 
she was first turned on to meth um, by one of the state's witnesses as a way to lose weight. And there was a lot of speculation on the prosecution's part. The state had one major problem with its case. Deb wasn't home the night of the fire. So the state argued she had to have an accomplice. They said she planned it with Tim, who had already been convicted. There's something that we're uncomfortable with. And I think that we're uncomfortable with the fact that there was a father at home with his children and he escaped the fire and his children didn't. Anne-Marie Moyes is the director of the Corey Wise Innocence Project. She says that right from the beginning, the police focused on Deb and Tim as suspects. There is a real impulse to blame him and to embrace narratives that put him at fault for what happened. And so I think that was the kernel that started all of this. And then the confirmation bias sets in. And then every piece of evidence is seen through this lens of, of that expectation. Here's how the state's case began. Somewhat early in the investigation, they led an arson dog through the fire scene. And the dog was trained to alert to the possible presence of an ignitable liquid. And the dog did alert at multiple locations in the living room and the stairway of the house. They said, okay, well, we found xylenes. And um, xylenes are a chemical compound in ignitable liquids. Xylenes are also commonly detected when furniture and other household items burn in a fire. Yet the prosecution argued that the presence of xylenes showed that the fire was deliberately set using an ignitable liquid. They had an expert whose name is John DeHaan, and um, he testified that he was able to determine that only a fire set at multiple locations simultaneously in the living room could have grown large enough to engulf the entire room. So it was beyond dispute that the living room did go to flashover, meaning that the entire room was engulfed in flames. But his theory was that only a deliberately set fire could have produced that result. And to further bolster this theory, the state brought in a jailhouse snitch. When Tim was in jail, he was placed next to a notorious informant named Hiram Church. Within a day or two of being in custody, Mr. Church claimed to have heard Tim confess to him. And then they were able to use the jailhouse snitch to tie it together because the jailhouse snitch said that Tim had admitted to him to using an ignitable liquid called goof-off to start the fire. And xylenes are a primary ingredient of goof-off. The state said that Tim put goof-off, a household cleaning product, all over the furniture and had the kids sit on it that evening. Then when the fire ignited, the children would already have the flammable substance on them. And what was critical is that Mr. Church, the jailhouse informant, said not only that Tim had confessed, but that he had implicated Deb in the crime. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. 
So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The state also criticized Deb's behavior following her children's deaths. They called in an insurance adjuster to testify that when she showed up at their office, she had on a white tracksuit with freshly manicured nails, implying that she was dressed inappropriately for a bereft mother. The state relentlessly picked apart her grieving process. I get it because I didn't know how to do it either. I don't know, things like that come in waves. Like you just can't, you sob uncontrollably and then you can't think or sob or do anything for a while. And then it'll hit you and I don't know, it's like a cycle of denial and devastation. They also brought up the fact that Deb didn't attend her children's funeral. How come you didn't attend the funeral? Um... I had lost my second son, Spencer, when he was three months old, and I had to have a funeral with a little tiny casket, and I barely made it through that, and I just, I was trying to get ready to go to the funeral, and my my body was breaking down, and I was shaking so bad, and you know, my daughters loved watching me get ready in the morning and they would be like, you know, mom, we want pretties. And I was trying to get ready for the funeral, but I just had to sit down and give in and surrender. I said, I can't go. I can't do it. I didn't want to go to the funeral and have it be about me breaking down instead of people getting to say goodbye to my beautiful children. So I went and I sat out in the car until after the funeral. And then I went and I thanked people for coming. I couldn't, I just couldn't, I couldn't imagine seeing three, three caskets. Uh, It was too much. It was too much. Deb's defense attorneys were Deputy Public Defender Cindy Jones and Jeffrey Schwartz. They called multiple witnesses to refute the prosecution's idea that Deb wasn't grieving properly. And as Anne-Marie Moyes explains, they also called in the prominent fire expert, John Lentini. 
he disputed all of the prosecution's evidence and their interpretation of the evidence. But at the end of the day, it was his word against multiple experts on the prosecution side. And the prosecution did a pretty good job of characterizing Lentini as some sort of hired gun that the defense had paid. It wasn't a fair characterization, but it was a success. They were successful in portraying him that way. Over a month later, on November 24th, 2008, Deb Nichols was convicted of three counts of first-degree murder. She was sentenced to three consecutive life terms in prison. Deb has passed her time in prison trying to come to terms with what has happened in her life. I try to do the things that I know will help, like journaling and singing and working out and going to church at Red Rocks, God Behind Bars, and keeping my heart open so that I can feel that pure love with my children and fighting to clear our names because we had nothing to do with that fire. In 2020, Kathleen, Anne-Marie, and the Corey Wise Innocence Project joined experienced criminal defense lawyer Janine McCabe in taking on Deb's case. So the main thing that we've done is brought on new leading experts in fire science to explain the changes in fire science that have taken place since the time of trial. And not only that, in the time since the trial happened, the state's expert, John DeHaan, has been discredited. He, for many years, was considered one of the leading experts in fire science in this country. But what we know now is that he acted unethically in other cases. And in fact, the American Association of Forensic Science voted to expel him from membership because of that unethical conduct. Dahan, who passed away in 2022, continued to stand by his testimony. This is him speaking in 2019 about the case. I've re-examined um, the data and the findings a number of times over the years, and uh, I uh, still hold my conclusions expressed in the Tim Nichols uh, uh, trial, as well as uh, uh, Deborah Nichols, that uh, I was deliberately uh, started in the living room of the residence. However, the science DeHaan was touting has also been discredited. The defense's trial expert, John Lentini, also maintains his trial testimony and emphasizes these changes in science. To this day, he defends Deborah's innocence. It's not up to uh, Timothy or Deborah to prove what caused that fire. What we have learned about the behavior of fire since the Nichols fire um, is that the patterns that we read after a big fire like this are not reliable evidence. We can now say definitively that the samples that were taken from the Nichols living room show that they were just the natural byproduct of the fire, that they did not come from an ignitable liquid. So there's absolutely no evidence anymore that there was an ignitable liquid present at the fire scene. And that new science just exposes the prosecution's case for what it is, which is just a house of cars that just doesn't stand up under any sort of inspection. The jailhouse informant, Hiram Church, has also been discredited. We see that in cases of wrongful convictions, that sometimes when these jailhouse informants are used, what we find out about their history is that they miraculously have heard confessions in a number of other high-profile murder cases. And that was true of Mr. Church. 
The Corey Wise Innocence Project submitted a motion for a new hearing to the courts in October of 2022. If accepted, there will be an evidentiary hearing where Deb can present this evidence to the court. In the meantime, she tries to keep healthy and stays in touch with the family she has left. Although Deb and Tim are divorced, they've remained friends and write letters to each other in prison. Um, We're both just trying to grieve and heal and get our names cleared and get the truth out and take it day by day at this point. It's hard to talk about trauma. It's hard to talk about losing my babies. But I was just hoping that people, especially women that get wrongly convicted, um, can find some type of strength to get through it and uh, keep fighting. Deb thinks back to the night of the fire often, remembering her kids' rambunctious energy at bedtime. Now she thinks of that night in a new way. I'm so glad that I got to put him back to bed four or five times because I didn't realize that would be the last time I got to kiss him goodnight. And I'm really, really grateful I got a bunch of extra kisses in that night. If you want to help Deb and the Corey Wise Innocence Project, go to the links in our bio. Next time on Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling, Ashley Jordan. He was about to say he did it just so I can go home and won't go to jail. And I looked at him and I grabbed his hand and I said, no, you're not. You will not lie for these people. I said, because we didn't do anything wrong. Thanks for listening to Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling. Please support your local innocence organizations and go to the links in our bio to see how you can help. I'd like to thank our executive producers, Jason Flom and Kevin Wordis, as well as our senior producer, Annie Chelsea, producer Lila Robinson, and story editor Sonia Paul. The show is edited and mixed by Annie Chelsea, with additional production by Jeff Clyburn and Connor Hall. The music in this production is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. The news clips heard in this episode were reported by Laura Martin at KKTV. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction, on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast, and on Twitter at Wrong Conviction, as well as at Lava for Good on all three platforms. You can also follow me on both Instagram and Twitter at Maggie Freeling. Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling is a production of Lava for Good Podcasts in association with Signal Company Number One. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.